When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kerbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley as we chew the fat on all the major talking points and issues from Goodison Park. We'll look back very briefly at the Cardiff City win. Uh, talk about Andre Gomez and I'll ask the lads to give me their sales pitch at the end of the season to try and convince Andre to stay with the Blues. We'll talk about sixth and is is it the race for sixth now? Is is sixth and open to uh, open to Everton a United's issues an opportunity for the Blues to do more than perhaps many people expected this season? And just before we came in to record this podcast, the referee has been appointed for Sunday's derby, so we will be discussing the pros and cons of the appointment of Chris Kavanagh. Um, Preno, you were at Goodison on Saturday. Um, just sort of briefly give me your feelings on a on a, a game that won't live long in the memory, huh. but nonetheless, a welcome three points and a, an important I, three points. I, I quite enjoyed it in a perverse kind of way. Um, <laughs> no, it was just one of those games that was always going to be a difficult one to break down. You know, any Neil Warnock team is going to be well organised. Um, it was a little bit... Uh, what's the phrase Sir Alex uses squeaky bum time in the last couple of minutes you know when they uh, got won a couple of corners but no I was just I just enjoyed the the the, the control that Everton exerted on, on the game and you know there were a number of high points to take from it I know you're going to talk about Andre Gomez later but you know his performance was wonderful but good to see Yerry Mina uh, settling in so comfortably um, I just thought it was a very professional performance from start to finish. Okay, you're not going to look back at the end of the season and say that that was a high point. But just the way that Everton have very stealthily crept up into sixth place on the back of some very, very professional and very good performances, things are coming together very, very well at the moment. So, no, I, I did enjoy it. Um, like you say, no no real high points, no real standout you know, moments or anything, but just as a whole, a, a very, very professional performance. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Gav, before you deliver what is a very interesting stat, just get, you know, same question to you, your, your feelings about the game and, 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 and you know, it, it felt, it was a difficult match, but still felt for me like a really important victory. Well, we needed it, given the run of fixes we've got coming up, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I agree with Preno, we were sort of in control from start to finish. Those yeah. last five minutes where I think, I'll be unnecessarily, I think we put ourselves under pressure. But there was... Um, it was always going to be tight. You I mean he said at the start, Warnock's teams he's been he's been now the the houses hasn't he? Good record against Devon. Now they're going to be set up, and they proved difficult to uh, you know, difficult to play against. Uh, but we found a way through, and you know, and I think it's one of them uh, for me. Just get over with get your three points, and then mm. you know look ahead to uh, Sunday. So come on, hit us with your stats. Well, apparently. <laughs> I, uh, it, Yes, apparently Cardiff's pass completion rate of fifty-two percent, right, and their number of successful passes only one hundred and fifteen against Everton, with the lowest of any Premier League team in a Premier League game this season. So, do we give Everton the credit for that, or do we give Cardiff the brickbats? So it's almost as if Cardiff sucked us down to their level at times, uh-huh. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean that. That's, 
I mean, it shows I mean, you how we've, Gav, we've, we've got to talk about Gomez, aren't we? And yeah. it's just a game. It shows you the, you know, we appear to be good to get the ball back quite quickly in mm. in midfield and not really let the opposition have a lot of it. Well, like like Cardiff and like a lot some of the other home games we've had this season, Palace, Brighton, Fulham, you know, last last sort of five or six weeks. Um, and we don't tend to let the opposition have a lot, a lot of the ball, you know, in terms of like a lot of pattern of pattern of play, you know. And I think uh, that was reflected on on Saturday. Well, I, th- I think that game on Saturday was almost like a, a photo first of some of the earlier games. You look at Crystal Palace, you know, the result that they got at Old Trafford at the weekend underlines, you know, they're not the easiest team to break down, you know, so they can be, you know, a difficult customer. Huddersfield, the result that they got at Wolves, you know, similar, you know, not not the easiest. Every team now is capable of putting up brick walls unless you face Man City and they're like, you know, capable of breaking anybody down. But there's just like a growing sense of of confidence in Marco Silva's game plan now that, you know, he can find a way, you know, so regardless of what kind of situations we're facing, which is probably why I enjoyed it so much because we knew what Cardiff were going to be. You know, they were going to be resolute. They were going to be obstinate. They were going to be, you know, so fairly horrible team, you know, to play against. But he still found a way. So, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, we're winning the kind of games that we should be winning at Goodison Park now but which a lot of other teams are finding it difficult to do so. Bees, mm-hmm. Neil Warnock came into the press conference room afterwards and, and said he was, he'd, he'd headed into the game confident that, that Cardiff could have found a way to win, yet put 10 men behind the ball. Do you think he might have just been sort of trying to spin a, a different sort of yarn on, on, the, on, the, on what was a difficult <laughs> afternoon for Cardiff? You know, admittedly, they yeah. made it tough for us, but as, as Gav said, we were in control, really. Mm. Um, no, I think he, he will have felt that he, he could have done that. Like we said in last week's podcast, he'd gone into that fixture with a good personal record against Everton. He'd won his last three games against Everton. But the difference is, like we were saying, winning the games that they should win, which hasn't always been the case at the start of the season. We've mentioned already there was that disappointing draw with Huddersfield, the defeat to West Ham United. They were the sort of games that you'd thought beforehand Everton would win, but didn't. But now, as the season's progressing, as things are working their way out under Silva, they are getting the results expected. Yeah, he, as I said, he'd, he'd have felt his team were in a chance and all that they were struggling um, towards the wrong end of the table. But no, they they, they, they were in it till um, the last minute. But from an Everton point of view, yeah, there was that element of control. Right, let's move on to the smooth operator, Andre Gomez. <laughs> I'm sure as everybody listening to this podcast uh, read on uh, Sunday night and into Monday morning, um, Marco Silva was asked uh, if he was willing to pick up the phone to Barcelona tonight and try and get a deal over the line now to get Andre Gomez at the football club permanently without sort of saying yes uh, to the straightforward question. He was very much sort of suggesting that it's, it's something that Everton will want to do, but it's early and he didn't want to put too much pressure on Gomez. But, you know, it's something that's certainly in their plans. Preno, if you were sat in front of Andre Gomez mm. at the end of the season, what would you say to him to convince him to stay with us permanently, sign a five-year deal and, and ignore going back to Barcelona, and ignore inevitably clubs who are in the Champions League uh, who will be trying to tempt him? What What would you say to Gomez to keep him here? Well, I think Marco Silva is key to this in that he will try and persuade Andre Gomez that he's prepared to build a team around him. You know, he's going to play regularly, which is what he wasn't getting at Barcelona. But I think the key really is Evertonians. You know, you've got to make him feel wanted. And I've said it before in these pods when uh, Duncan Ferguson first arrived in '94, initially on loan. One of the rare occasions when we got to speak to him when we were in a hotel down in Portsmouth, um, when I asked him whether 
he thought he would stay beyond his three-month loan deal. And he said, nah, I wouldn't have thought so. He was ready to go back to Glasgow Rangers. And what changed his mind was the level of idolatry, whatever the phrase is, you know, so how fans absolutely adored him following that goal against Liverpool and the impact that he had. And he was a man that just wanted to be wanted. And I think he got that at Everton. The Everton fans absolutely loved him. And that was why he ended up staying. And, you know, the momentum generated by that meant that it became absolutely compelling. And Everton had to try and uh, sign him permanently. Couldn't really afford him at the time, you know, so, but did regardless. I think a similar situation exists with Andre Gomez. He wasn't really wanted at Barcelona. I think he described it as a nightmare spell, didn't he? He didn't feel wanted there. If Everton can make him feel wanted, can, you know, make him feel integral to everything that we're doing... Um, and if the fans can, you know, sort of get behind him, that could sway his mind. Because eventually, you know, Andre Gomez will get what Andre Gomez wants. He's a good enough footballer to play for, like you say, Champions League clubs. But Marco can sell it to him along the lines of Everton are as ambitious enough to want to play in the Champions League. Probably won't get there this season. But, you know, who's to say that, you know, they're not going to get there during the five years that, you know, spell of an Andre Gomez uh, contract. So I think he will just reinforce the club's ambitions. You know, so look, we are going to bring in more players again next summer. We are going to try and you know, sort of build this squad. I mean, they've spoken many, many times about the great things they want to achieve. So I think he just emphasised that. He emphasised that, look, this is the start of something really big. That's before we even start about you know, potential new stadiums. Gav, you know, all going well and you know, being realistic about what we could achieve this season. Say we go back into the Europa League. Do you think that's enough of a temptation for Gomez to sign on the dotted line? Um, well, the same, we're all the same in Barcelona. We want to release him here as well. Just I've had a word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, what it's like when we say these things, you normally get people who support the uh, the opposition who sometimes listen to the pods. I remember trying to talk about Jamie Vardy last season. We had a load of Leicester fans in Sweden. Like, you know, yeah. so just in case any Barcelona fans, <laughs> the assumption is you want to sell. Um, I'd be talking to him now. I won't be leaving until the end of the season. I think the, the cards we've got to play is about Marco Silva's Portuguese, isn't he? That 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 helps, yeah. doesn't it's it? Too I mean, soon, no. I think too, you got to let him, you know, play. You know, a couple of months. Don't jump in now. Just wait until he feels not, wanted. Not, wait until he's part of it. Yeah, not, not, when I say not now, I don't. But I think I'd be sowing the seed. Well, we've already obviously sowed the seeds and would have read the story. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, and I get what Preno says is they got to let him develop. I mean, and I, I can only echo that. I think um, the other thing as well is you say, you know, how much money do you want? Well, that, just, that's, for, that's, that's the just, thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'll we'll just inter- interject <laughs> yeah. there, Gav. Uh, officially, Barcelona inserted a buyout clause of 100 million euros, but they also inserted the same fee into Yerry Mina's contract. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're obviously open to, to to negotiation, aren't they? And significant negotiation. Yeah, I'm talking about how much money Gomez wants as well. Eh? Yeah, yeah that, that's what that's the main Would thing. Would you make him the highest paid player? Is he that important? <sighs> Well, it depends how it goes for the rest of the season, doesn't it? If he plays like the end, you know, like he's playing at the moment, but he's obviously a cut above most Evan players that we've been used to, then you've got you've got to look at that, haven't you? I mean, also the fact that Yeremian is here and has come come a similar route, you know, it helps. So there's a few cards we've got to play both on and off the pitch, I think. Um, but ultimately, it's down to the player and and. Other clubs would be looking at his performances in England, probably, yeah. and saying, well, hang on a minute. You know, you've got better short-term, you know, uh, short, short, short-term what, opportunities here. But what, Yeah, so is that what you're saying to him? You'll guarantee, you, you guarantee yeah. to play, you will build, will build a team around you? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. He's good, he's that good. Well, and they say that's we've got to be careful here, haven't we? Silver says he's going to get better. Yeah. yeah. From what we've seen so far, he looks like a player you could <laughs> build a team now. 
I don't want to draw comparisons, but I will do. <laughs> I was I was I was thinking on on Saturday about saw the steam from the other side of the press box coming off. Your I was head, thinking yeah. on Saturday about Ross Barkley. Go on. Who is a, a similar type? You know, say I, 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 a similar type. I know what you of, mean. Of, of player, you would say, not 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 hundred percent player, but when I watch Gomez, I think of like the player that Ross could and still got time to be. Mm. You know, I'm I'm not sure they probably similar age are they something like that? 24? Oh, 25, 24, Gomez, 25, 25 yeah. yeah. And Ross is what twenty four, twenty five, isn't he? In, in, in December, <laughs> but you know, in terms of decision making and. Mm where to play on the pitch and stuff. You know that thing, the type of thing we used to give Ross stick for, like his football intuition wasn't as well developed as what it should be. And you, you and then you were thinking, well, he could actually build a play. You know, if, you, you, if mm. Ross had that, he could build a, build a team around him. And I was thinking that about Gomez on, on Saturday, that he's, he's got that that football. No, what, what did the ego say he call that? That knowing football yes. thing. And he, he knows it and he understands it, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, and and I think that is the type of player that he built the team around. Bees, mm. full Everton kit on, rattle, you know, season ticket in your hand, in front of Andre Gomez, what are you saying to him to convince him to stay with us at the end of the season? Right, that, I mean, like, a supporter's <laughs> point of view. Um, as we've heard already, it is that it's important, I think, for Andre Gomez to feel that he is loved and he is wanted at Everton because that was a big thing at Barcelona for him. In an ideal world, you know, you want to be playing for Barcelona, don't you? If you're at Barcelona, there is no higher level. But as has been alluded to already, difficult times there um, came even with a big reputation in Spain when, when they got him, a lot was expected of him and it, it didn't work out for him. So the flip side of that, you know, he's come, come to Everton where he is wanted, and it's been mentioned already, the Portuguese-speaking coach, the other players who's joined him from uh, the Camp Nou, Yurimina and uh, Luca Dean as well. So it's, it's, it's all about this idea of being wanted, as has been said, building the, um, the team around. I think that Everton have got the advantage here in that if he does well at Everton, we'll see. Well, you know, this was this was the place where we got you back on back on track, and uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about maybe other teams necessarily in the in the Champions League that we saw with Yerimina this summer and Leon were after him and saying, "Oh, yeah, Champions League," but he ultimately Everton seemed pretty confident. Marcel Brands that he was was going to come to Everton, so I think a similar sort of idea with with Andre. Do you think there's any way back from at Barcelona because he's gone from having this contract which I spoke about? Uh, 100 million euros release clause and it was incentivised I think he was, he was, he was on, on course to earn an extra 15 million euros if he won multiple Ballon d'Ors it said in the official statement mm-hmm. to have it to describing it as a nightmare is there any going back you know we've spoken on previous pods mm-hmm. about the players we've sent out on loan and there being major doubts about their, them having long term futures mm-hmm. you know, Gomez isn't a, a teenager who's, who's been farmed out to, to develop mm-hmm. he's an international proven player so do you think that actually as much as there might be a fear that oh, Barcelona don't watch, he's playing well, you know, stop, yeah. stop watching. In fact, that, that that avenue realistically isn't isn't open to him anymore. I mean, if he does really well for Everton, and Barcelona might do that. But I just think, given that it was so disappointing the way his first spell went, I don't think if necessarily he would ne- he would want to go back to Barcelona. Um, like you said, uh, if he's 
you saw the sort of levels that were expected of him. If they've inserted Ballon d'Or mm. clauses and stuff. But in regards to his actual selling clause, I mean, they often set that much higher than they would realistically expect to sell a player for anyway. I think that's what happened, why they were so caught off guard with Neymar, because it was a supposedly impossible fee and yes. PSG called a bluff as it were and <laughs> went and paid it so I don't think they'd ever be expecting that sort of um, money for him so yeah he can never totally close the door and if Barcelona come back and say yeah we want you to make you the main man well he might have second thoughts but I don't realistically think that was happened so I'd, I'd, I'd be fairly confident fairly relaxed about it and just see how the season pans out if he continues doing well then I think Everton would be in the box seat for his signature I was, I was going to ask you, B says at this point we should be relatively confident with the box seat. How do you rate our chances then, do you think, at this stage? I think it's far too early to say, to be honest. Um, he's, he's played, is it four games, five games so far? So, you know, he is still feeling his way into it. I know he'll feel comfortable at the, at the football club you know, because he's been here several months. And like you mentioned before, a couple of teammates, you know, so from other clubs. Um, but you just need to let it play out for a couple of months. I mean, December and January are such busy months. And so much can happen in that time. Just let him play regularly, week in, week out. You know, so make him feel that he's part of a football club that is ambitious and starting to, to go places. And let's just see how it goes. Um, I mean, with any interviews he's given, he seems like he really enjoys the place. I mean, I know it was a nice PR, PR stunt, the one about him getting the, uh, the young fan the coat after he jumped off to hear the bus. But, you know, he generally does look like he's enjoying being around. So... Just let him enjoy it a bit more, you know, so just give him a couple more months of settling in, you know, so feeling like part of the family and see what happens. But, you know, I'd be reasonably confident. The fact that Barcelona let him go in the first place uh, suggests that, you know, they've not really got, you know, long-term plans for him. Um, and, you know, if he's at a place where he does feel like he's got a long-term future, you know, hopefully that's in Everton's favour. Gav, so to, just the last one on Gomez, um, so don't bother picking up the phone in January and testing the water. If you don't ask, you don't get I would imagine there'd be ongoing dialogue, won't there? During the course of the season, at different stages, if he continues to look the player he does at the moment. You look a bit desperate, don't you, if you start going in in January? Yeah. We've seen him in five games, let's, let's make an offer. Yeah. Now, they're cool, you know, so just you know, <laughs> negotiating. I would imagine that to be, you know, you know, ongoing dialogue. I don't think you won't phone out to the blue, you know, you would imagine it'd be. But when players are on loan anyway, it's normally yeah. good practice, isn't it, to keep to keep that going for the for the set the, you know the, the host club as it were yeah. you know so uh, it's normally good practice anyway yeah as Pano says just just see how it goes but I've been very impressed and uh, what what I'd like to the role the role I'd like to see him play though was more more box to box towards the, the opposing mm. team's penalty area which means I you know I've said all season I think we need to hold midfielder I know it's just a guy and the guy has been excellent this season I think we need to hold a midfielder. An upgrade on... on yeah. Get guy yeah, yeah, a different yeah. player. Different player. Okay. So my deal is just shield the back four, and move, and who can pass the ball. Right, just writing off Morgan Schneidlin, just like that. Well, the, you, well t- if you remember... <laughs> I'm joking, Gav, I'm joking. But no, but, no, seriously, but if you remember, at the, when, when Silver first came here, he said, I anticipated a role for Morgan Schneidlin, mm, didn't yeah. he? I think... Yeah, and, 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 and look, obviously, yeah. he said that at a time when Gomez wasn't at the football club. Now, whether you would imagine Gomez was has been discussed at that point but do you think maybe Gomez's arrival changed that? It, it might have done what I'd, what I'd say is he to four three three to work effectively 
the best way is you're three and the three you've got in the middle. I said this before, this is holding midfielder who can pass the ball, somebody's box to box, and somebody who play like the Sigurdsson role, but mm. some will, will also come deep on occasions. And I see Gomez playing that box to box role, but because we've got to hold a midfielder, but at the moment, we're at the moment we've got to just gone again. We'll sort of get round the pitch a little bit more, and you know, leave a little bit of space at the back. Somebody will just shield the back four. I think will allow Gomez to play further up the pitch, mm. so you wouldn't have to take the ball off the back four all the time, you know. But she does on occasions at the moment. Did James McCarthy do that job? I don't think James has got his own issues to get over it. Really, over the next six months, hasn't he? Over it, getting back from injury. Yeah, I can, think can, that's... I, can I just throw this one quote in? Which on. uh, this this came from um, your chat, Phil, with uh, with Marco at the weekend. Uh, I think in the right moments we have to do something to achieve one player like Andre. He's not saying Andre Gomez is that player. I think he doesn't want to. I mean, he then goes on to say that yes, you know, we're loving him here. Mm. You know, so we want to make him permanent. But he also wants to forget about him a little bit. You know, so the Barcelona, you know, so don't realise it with that desperate. But it's almost like he's being quite realistic that, you know, if they can't get Andre Gomez, he's got other ideas of other players of that ilk. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Marcel Brands' scouting network, is, you know, is legendary. So, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all. We're, we're loving what we're seeing of him. You know, so he has been a, a, a very, very impressive performer for the last few games. But they've got other, you know, irons in the fire as well. I'm already saying there, players, what I've just been saying there. And in, in, in your three in the middle, you need, like, somebody who plays box-to-box. So it's not like Andre, as in his skill sets or whatever. It's like the role he he plays, you know, so yeah, I think there's, there's several options. There was the Leon men, lad mentioned yesterday. Don't believe, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, be interesting. Yeah. I'd also imagine that as the season progresses, he would become more box to box as his fitness improves because obviously he's had that injury layoff and um, adapting to the pace of the Premier League, that was always going to take him time. You know, he's a big unit, but he can cover, he can cover a lot of ground and he would probably, he would probably uh, improve on that score as, as the season goes on, I would imagine. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Could you foresee a, a, a team if, if if we kept Gomez and, and signed another player that's box to box? Can you play with two box to box midfielders? You just have like runners, you know, beasts in the middle. You know, does that work? Yeah. Well, as well as some, as well as somebody in the Sigerson role. Still. Yeah, so you're almost playing the system that we are now, which is two. Could you just have two athletes in there? I don't. I don't. My personal preference wouldn't be. I always think that if you play four three three, you need somebody who just sits in front of the back four. Mm. Um, and if you've got you know, Sigurdsson, he'll come deep, won't he? As well. Yes. So I mean, you've sort of got that. You've got one and a half box to box players. Yeah. Such a such a phrase. Um, so you leave yourself open, then, don't you? the counter-attack. Um, indeed. So the victory over Cardiff on Saturday catapulted the Blues up to sixth in the table. So, and I want the lads to give me their feelings on whether the target should be sixth this season. Have the troubles of Manchester United and their seemingly internal issues and in, uh, in what seems like they're going to implode at any moment. Is it an opportunity? A bit like it was Preno. In 2013-14, Martinez's first season, we went to fifth. Now, I'm not saying we'll get to fifth with the record points sure. record points tally, but do we now need to recalibrate what we think is realistic and is sixth an op- you know, really a big opportunity yeah, for Yeah, well, 100%. Us? It's an opportunity. You know, Mourinho's having his, his now traditional meltdown and, um, you know, Manchester United are struggling as a result. Um, 
it sounds like there's not going to be a great deal of uh, money spent there in January, so they're going to you know sort of plough on. I mean, to be fair, they should be performing far better than mm. they are given the quality of player he's got at that football club. But for whatever reason, that they're not doing it for him, and they were fortunate to get a point against Palace at the weekend, given the opportunities Palace had. So yeah, try and take advantage of that as much as possible. In order for that to happen, though, we've got to start not just beating the teams that were expected to beat at Goodison Park, which we're starting to do now but building on that point at Stamford Bridge by getting points from the places we're not expected to get points from. So, you know, totally accept that we went to uh, Arsenal and went to Old Trafford and had a go. And we're probably unfortunate not to get something from both places. You can blame the referee at Old Trafford. You can blame your misfortune at Arsenal. Um, but, you know, played very, very well each time. but came back with nothing. But the next opportunity this Sunday, you know, so an opportunity to go to a, a place we've not done well for a long, long time. But they've not got a great deal to prepare Liverpool, not a great deal of time to prepare given their Champions League commitments. They're the kind of places that we've got to start going to and getting results now. Uh, so a point there on Sunday would be another tick in that box to say that, yes, sixth place is achievable. But I think it's got to be aimed for. I certainly think, you know, now that the club is in sixth place, you know, so absolutely go for it. Gav, the voice of reason. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? I was praying all that. Uh, yeah, no, uh, no, not really. I think uh, what we got, we got 20... Two, 22 points in 13 games which is a third of the season if you, if you looked at that that's like 65 points isn't it over over the season which is, which is not bad uh, yeah I think it's just basically performing better against the top five home and away not just away from home uh, is going to be key to that um, you, you, you'd say from what you've seen in the Premier League so far this season not just the teams against Devon is we should be beating most of the teams below us, yes, home and away. Really, you know, there's really no excuses because, let's face it, it's pretty, pretty poor fare, isn't it? The Premier mm. League. Once you get outside the top six or seven, do you expect that Watford and Bournemouth will fade away? Made really good starts this season, obviously. Both yeah, weird teams, yeah. aren't they? They're like so hit and miss. You know, great one week and dodgy the next. Yeah, I but isn't that our challenge then? Consistency. Yeah. They're, they're, they're streaky. Team. Bournemouth, Eddie Howe's a bit of a streaky manager, isn't he? I think Leicester are a decent, yeah. decent team. And I thought Wolves were challenged, you know, after their start, but they've sort of faded away. And, you, and you're looking at the, the, the two things to say is is you're looking at what you've seen so far, but you're lo- looking for the fact that we've got every player fit at the moment. I know, incredible, isn't it? Which is, I, I mean, I can. I can't ever remember. I probably did sometime late sixties when we had fourteen <laughs> first team players, but I can't remember us having twenty five, twenty six players. Especially in a derby week. Yeah, or fit. So a few days know, to go, yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, yeah. Don't tempt me. <laughs> so that's the other thing as well, is we need to keep the key players fit as well. Um and and the, and the good thing is the team can get better, isn't it? As you say, you mentioned Gomez probably fitness, Bernard fitness. Yeah, I mean, it's to settle in a little bit more. We might do a little bit of business in January, so saying that my other teams may may do as well. Do you think we have to to, to realistically to go for six? Do we need to go into January and go and find a striker? Or? I think this. But talking about injuries, I think we're hamstrung by really not having a striker at the moment. Which I know we'll talk about later on the week about team selection for the derby. But whether they do and just say, well, actually, we can we can finish sixth. You know, and and that would be great, but seventh wouldn't be. Oh, well, uh, se- I'm not se- decrying. Seventh with no signs of with, with signs of progress Absolutely. will be a result for me. Yes, I agree. But yeah. six will be great in terms of you can you know I know there was a piece earlier on today about the so-called 
top six and maybe not be given credit for be, being in there at the moment. I think that that would look good. You know, when we talk about like selling 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 the team to players, isn't it? That's a that's a factor, isn't it? Really, the so-called English top six you've all heard about. Well, actually, in our first season, we've broken into that. I know, like that doesn't necessarily mean long term you will yeah, do, but yeah, it's yeah. a selling point, isn't it? Yeah. A bit like Martin as his first season. Absolutely. Um, B's, I suppose, same question to you, mate. Mm. You know, can we start looking at six now? Or, or, or are you somebody who wants to go, look, let's get past Boxing Day when we've played everybody once. Let's see, you know, where we are on the table, points tally, and then we can make an assessment. Or do you think now, actually, you know, round Finch Farm, Marco should say, look, this is our big chance now. It is a big chance. and It's an unexpected chance, given that... Um, there's top six, big six, whatever we want to call them or don't want to call them, um, are so established. But there's six basically going for four Champions League places. But we saw only yesterday the um, the financial figures coming out for the actual amount spent on wages, mm. which, as often said, is a better indicator of where a club should be rather than necessarily transfer fees. And Man United were top for the entire Premier League. Everyone goes on about the money that Manchester City spend. Man United are paying more per player than any other club. So for if Everton were to usurp them, that'd be that'd be a massive coup. And yeah, it it, it is a, a big opportunity. Um you mentioned the fixtures coming up, so many games in December, so that would be a better indicator if we come back in just over a month's time, halfway point, and once all those hectic um, festive fixtures have been played, you might have a more realistic um look at the landscape. But it, yeah, the the way things are going, we, we I was at that game at Old Trafford, there, there wasn't much between Everton and United and everyone was crowing on the day all the, the Manchester media that was um, one of United's best performances of the season and it was all uh, Joe say why we are so good all questions like that um, so yeah that, that, look the Everton shouldn't be anywhere near Manchester United but the fact that they are as we speak actually above them yeah it's, just, it's fantastic and it certainly gives Marco something to build from Excellent um, later in the week as Gav alluded to we will be focusing on the Derby and do a dedicated Derby pod, but uh, it would be remiss not to discuss, obviously, a little bit of Derby-related news which um, broke just before we recorded the podcast. The referee has been appointed for Sunday's game. It's Chris Kavanagh. I, that, that's, I can hear you now listening. Who? Who's weird. Not Eddie Kavanagh. <laughs> Preno, um, is 25 Premier League games under your belt enough experience to be taking charge of a Merseyside Derby? Um, well, we'll see on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. I mean, whenever I look at a Derby match appointment, the first thing I tend to glance at are their record for red and yellow cards, and you know, see how how rash they are, you know, flashing cards. Because I always think a Derby benefits from having, you know, so a Mark Halsey type of referee that's like a little bit more forgiving, you know, so appreciates the intensity of the occasion, and you know, doesn't let players get away with things, but just you know, so it takes a step back. And Kavanagh's record's not bad. I mean, he showed his first red card of the season at the weekend. Um, totally, you know, deserved as well. It was for James Madison, you know, for that outrageous dive. Um, but earlier in the season, most of his games are twos and threes, yellow cards. Uh, and the way Everton and Liverpool have both been playing this season, you wouldn't expect there to be, you know, many. I mean, Liverpool, you know, are playing a more controlling game rather than the high-intensity game they were playing last season. But their disciplinary record is good. Uh, Everton's is not bad either, you know. So certainly, since you know, so Schneidlin and Tom Davis haven't been in the team, who you know were often you know sort of only recipients of yellow cards. Now we seem to be playing a similar you know sort of kind of game where we're controlling it more. So I'm um, you know I'm, I'm reasonably relaxed about it. Yeah, it's inexperienced, you know. So you raise an eyebrow, but uh, 
you've got to give him the opportunity sometime. And, you know, he's taken charge of Everton games and I can't really think of games where he stood out, which is a, a good, you know, something in his favour. Yeah. Gav, Chris Kavanagh, for those listening who don't know, was the man that sent Ashley Williams off at Burnley last season at Turf Moor. Um, look, <laughs> a, re- a referee appointment is never going to be well received. I can imagine the comments on online now, you know, you know, everybody will not be happy because it's a referee, but as comfortable as you can be with the appointment of Chris Kavanagh, or have you got any concerns? I think he must be rated highly. Uh, well, yes. If you, if you give him 25, you know, given the derby after 25 Premier League games, I remember uh, years ago, I think it was 2012, Michael Oliver given, being given the, the Liverpool Spurs game at Anfield yeah. in, in similar circumstances. And he's then gone on to be, you know, maybe our best best referee. Um, so he must be highly rated. And yeah, I mean, the, as Preno says, the styles of the... Derbys have changed over the years, haven't they? You know, the, the laws of the game and, and and the way the game's played that means it's it's a lot, I wouldn't say a lot less intense, but certainly not as blood-curdling as what it used to be. A lot less scousers as well. A lot less scousers. Yeah. Um, and so they're not... In, in many ways, it's, an Everton-Liverpool game is not too dissimilar to see, seeing Everton play Man United or Manchester City or Spurs now. They're all, they're all, because... The game's become so sanitised, hasn't it? And it's taken away that like that, that thing about you know hundred miles an hour here and scare and stuff. Um, and so it's probably easier to referee. Uh, don't say that. You know, well, yeah. I was going to say, but, I, but, admittedly, you know. um, the FA Cup tie there was perhaps an exception, an exceptional kind of moment of the unsavoury scenes, Holgate and Firmino. Yeah, is, is that enough experience to handle something like that? And you know, the fallout from that was huge. You know, and it, it, there was there was fingers being pointed left, right, and centre. Well. The, the authorities obviously think so, don't they? That's yeah. why they've appointed them. Um, but I'd argue that, well, we've had um, these so-called established senior referees in the past. They haven't been particularly charitable to Everton on the whole. So maybe it'd be better to have a more experienced one. The, the, obviously, the infamous derby game when um, Mark Clattenburg um, didn't um, punish certain Liverpool players and did punish certain Everton players. And it was all this sort of, oh, well, Dirk Kout's a nice fella. He couldn't possibly have done something like that. What was that, Stevie? What Jamie? Um, first name terms with the Liverpool players. And almost like letting them referee the derby. And that's because because he'd been on the circuit for so long and he knew these, these players. He was almost letting them get their own way. So perhaps Everton would be better off with a, um, a newer referee who didn't quite know, know the players so well. What, what is a major, major bonus is it's not Martin Atkinson and it's not John <laughs> Moss. So, you know, we, we, we should be happy with that. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Right, excellent chaps. We'll uh, leave the derby chat there and we'll reconvene later in the week to uh, really get into the nitty gritty of Sunday's game at Anfield. Well, thank you very much for your company and thank you very much for listening, everybody, to the Royal Blue Podcast. Remember, you can... Uh, rate and subscribe and comment to us uh, through iTunes and the Acast app so please do all of that is very much welcome you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo